You are listening to the Gate 7 International Podcast, a podcast connecting Olympiacos fans from Melbourne to Baltimore, from London to Piraeus. We are four Olympiacos fans from every corner of the world, bringing you news and interviews of the team you love in English. With new episodes twice a week, you'll never lose the latest updates and stories of the team you love. This is our team, our city, and our land. You're listening to the Gate 7 International Podcast. Welcome to the Gate 7 International Podcast, your official English source for all things Olympiakos FC and Greek football. You're listening to episode number 68. My name is Peter Thompson. I'm here with my co-hosts, Lambros Sirmos, Costa Levoyanis, and Ali Bulubasis, as well as our special player guest for today. We've had players from all over the world, Brazil, Greece, but today we have the pride of Glen Cove, New York. The only ever Greek American to play for Olympiakos, people, Peter Filipakos. Peter, thank you so much for joining us. How's it going? Everything's good. Thank you for remembering me, first of all, and um, reach, and reaching out to me. Well, it's funny. Um, when uh, we actually, when we got Stelios Yanakopoulos on the podcast, he was our first player that we had on, and uh, we posted on our social media, we wanted the, the fans to guess. And one of the first guesses we got was Peter Filipakos. And we said, no, that's not, that's not who we've had on. But in the back of our minds, we thought that would be a really cool interview. And <laughs> so I think that's kind of uh, how, we, how we maybe got here. Uh, shout out to Bill Clay Jr. who made that guess. And then also shout out uh, while we're at it to Konstantinos Pazadoulopoulos. I think I got that wrong, but um, <laughs> Padazopoulos, that's it. Sorry about that. Um, for guessing Filipakos uh, correctly. Before we move on, I want to quickly tell you about our sponsor, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's just about the easiest way to make and share your own podcast. Here at Gate 7 International, we've used Anchor to distribute our podcast to Spotify, Apple Music, and more, all for free. Anchor will allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your computer while also offering you the opportunity to make money off your podcast with no listenership requirements. That's right. You can get your podcast up on Apple and Spotify and start making money off of it right away. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess we'll get straight into it as well then uh, with We'll start asking you some questions about your background, as we always do with our special guests. The first thing we'll ask, how did you get into soccer? Would you say it was, uh, given that you're Greek, of Greek heritage, would you say it was a cultural thing for you to get into uh, it that way, or was it just sort of natural? Not really. Um, I actually wasn't forced in, into the sport, which is probably the best way for a kid to stick with it. So growing up, even though you know, it was from like a very Greek background. I wrestled, I played baseball, hockey, uh, basketball. I hate talking about this, like, but like saying like I was the best athlete, but it was getting to the point where coaches were like, he has to pick soon. Hockey was one where I had, when I was young, I was playing four age groups up and I had someone tell my parents, like he could go like, Okay, he's young to even talk about NHL, but this kid has something like you, you rarely see in someone his age. 
but they're like hockey at this at a high level. He has to be going to Canada constantly, and it's very, very demanding the same way football is. So they're like, you have to actually pick. So around 14, those were probably the two where I enjoyed the most, and I thought I could make it. So my parents didn't force me. Like I said, sometimes when the parent forces you so much, they're too hard on a kid, he'll lose the passion. It feels like a, like a job almost. Um, so the... <laughs> I mean, football was my life, my passion, everything, but I did love hockey as well. But hockey, I said, there's too many pads. Getting ready takes an hour. I'm, I said football. That's literally why I said, okay, I'm putting all my energy into football. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, that actually <laughs> reminds me, my dad put me into baseball at first. It was similar yeah. to me. I didn't really have football in, in my life until I just discovered it. My, they decided to put me in a rec league, and then I, I fell in love with it. Now, when you decided to go full on into football, or even when you were playing, let's you mm. know, in whatever seasons you were playing it in, were you playing with any one of the regional clubs in New York? Uh, I remember I used to play against, uh, it was a club that had like a, a Norse name, like York or something like that. And they were pretty big in New York at the time. Were you affiliated with any of the regional clubs? So back then it was, you played on your club team yep. in whatever neighborhood you lived, or you found out which town was the strongest club team. Like I was going to one an hour away from my house because they were technically the best. Hmm. So it wasn't like academies like now. Right. Um, so the level wasn't the greatest, but the goal was to make the New York state team, the regional team, the national team. So I would always make it to the regional team Yep. and be on the fringes of the national team. And um, I always felt, like I said before, every, like if I could go back in time, it would not change everything. Back then, I was very technical, probably held on to the ball too much. And instead of coach, someone coaching that and telling me when to hold it, when not to hold it, I would have a lot of national team coaches say, you dribble too much, you don't play simple enough, that's why we don't call you. But I was stubborn in that I'm not changing the way I play. That's what I'm good at. You know what I mean? So that's probably what carried me and gave me this drive. The fact that they would not, like I couldn't stamp a place in that team, in the national team. The regional team I had like every year I was making it. I even had a year that the New York State team cut me. That's probably for attitude reasons. When I was young, they were telling me to play a position. I told the coach, I was 12. I said, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> they kicked me off the team. <laughs> but that all that setup back in the day, it was really impossible because think about how big America is. Yeah. How can you find the best 30 in the country without academy setups, without going watching club football? Because usually a player is best in his club, the club he spends every day with. So you need to really watch the club more than the regional team would get together maybe twice a year and play two matches. What can you tell? You have to be lucky enough in that little weekend to be the most fit you've been, mentally in the right spot, in good form. So I was always so angry, like, I have to get out of this country. This setup is so off. I will never make it here. And yeah. that's really like kind of to put these things away. I guess I always say like these tools in my locker for down the line that i I was told no a lot when I was young and I was crazy enough that I kept saying to people, I, I'll never forget this to my brother, to my mother. I'm like, I'll play in Europe one day. 
And they thought it was crazy because there was really no MLS, like organized them. They're like, how will you get? I'm like, trust me, I will. I don't care. I had this just desire. I was all day training. So that's really how that happened. Now, you actually just kind of highlighted and teed up perfectly for what I was going to bring up next. How, especially back then, how convoluted the system was. You had your rec level. Then it was like travel league team that only stayed within the local area. Your club teams, which actually competed across the state. Region one was across different states. You would play Mm. against, you know, I, I remember playing against New York teams, New Jersey, Delaware, everybody. Then... There was uh, at the national level, when I kind of went to university or when I was in college, they just started the academy, the academy circuit. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. Those teams, it was just starting. That was, I went to, I was undergrad, first year was 2007. And okay. besides that, then there you had your DDP, you had your district development programs in each state. And then mm-hmm. you had ODP, which was actually, at the time, it wasn't even sponsored by U.S. soccer directly. It was a third-party mm-hmm. affiliate. And that was the Olympic development programs. And all of this was separate. And you actually had to go. There was financial costs for it because just to try out for the teams, you had to pay. And it's we've talked about this before on the pod, but the the mess that has been U.S. soccer development, U.S. football development is Mm. it's a nightmare compared to what you see overseas. Now, it's made some improvements, but it still has a long way to go. It's still nowhere near like. Yeah. Just one thing, and I'll, I'll get let you get the next next question. So there's, I mean MLS. Obviously, there's good coaches at every club. That's fairly new. If you look at maybe the levels below MLS, they still don't have the proper setup. So imagine what's at even below that. So what we're missing in America is the whole trick of football is to make a kid around the age of twelve start doing the basic the basics subconsciously. So I watch kids in America at 18 still don't know things, positional things. It's not second nature without thinking to look before you get the ball. So the American kids are trying to kind of tattoo that in their brains at 18, where in Holland and Belgium and these kids at 12, it's just without thought doing it. And though the toughest things in football are the simple things. Can you just, as a number six, for example, can you stay in your position as much as you want to move out 10 meters and make a tackle? You're not supposed to. Can you play five-meter passes and never lose the ball once? Because everyone wants to play, you know, 50-meter passes. But they don't understand in America, like in America a lot, you give that pass and the coach would be like, oh, what a great ball. But I look when I watch you football is, well, if that didn't go, That's actually not a great pass for the position you're in, because now if you lost that, the whole team is so out of position in transition. These are little kind of football knowledge things that the kids in Europe know by 12, 13, 14. And in America, they're learning them at maybe in their their 20s. That's a big gap that the American kids have to catch up on. For that to change, you're going to have to now get MLS level coaches to the 14 year olds that's going to take so many years to happen. Yeah, you're 100% right. Uh, Now, switching gears a little bit. Greek football, when you were young and you were jumping full into football, 
was Greek football really available for you? It was, was it easy for you to watch games? Were you aware of what was going on in the Greek Super League we, at the time? So back then, I forgot. We had like one Greek channel and it was whatever match they chose to put. So I, it's not like I was following someone like right. where I could watch every match. Um, back then, I remember Spain, they would show and it was always either Madrid or Barcelona. Premier League, I can't even remember if they showed Premier League. I think they did. But I was buying videotapes constantly. This is what I was doing. And I would just watch them over and over. And any match that I would get. I remember back then it was, I would watch Luis Figo. Even when he didn't have the ball, I was trying to learn my position. Like, And I, that's what I would do all day. Just watch videos in any match I can get. So the Greek League was tough. And um, especially with like I remember the time difference, I wasn't really catching Greek matches. I didn't know much about it, to be fair. Did you have a favorite as much Greek as I player should. at least? Did you huh? did you know of anyone? Did you have a favorite Greek oh, player at all? Yeah, the play when I say I didn't know as much, meaning I couldn't tell you back then who was playing for Ethnico ah, Asteda and the only goal. I, I like, gotcha. You I know gotcha. what I mean? Obviously, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So my favorites, I've said this before in the past. Um, so for me back then, for my age, Yorgatos, the first Greek I saw go abroad. Um, Tsiarta and Yorgato, where I actually was like, they didn't just make a transfer abroad. Like Tsiarta, Madrid wanted him. Yorgato like leaves Inter and they beg him to go back. Like the difference he made, like those are the first Greeks I was like, yeah, they didn't just go get some money and come back to Greece. Like they, in those countries still to this day, people will tell me, oh my God, do you remember Tsarta? Do you remember Yorgato? Like, so those were the, Yorgato especially, um, I would like as much try and watch stuff like whenever he would play. I was like really kind of like obsessed with him. The career he was making, his attitude. I always used to be like, I'm kind of like that as well. That like, um, um, He's the type that I always notice this. And this is my favorite type of players, kind of. Like, he'll be worse in training than he is in a match. Now, I'm not trying to say he doesn't try in training, but there's some players who are unbelievable in training. And in a match, nerves come in, you're anxious. Yorgata was like, put Barcelona in front of him. That's when he gets up. And I always used to, like, notice that, especially then when I got to play with him, I'd notice it. And he'd just turn it on. His confidence was like, Probably one of the top I've seen from a player I've been around. So him always when I was little. Now, going going back to, I guess, the upstart of your career, uh, did you ever play high school ball as well, or did you just – did you go from <laughs> – High school, to yeah, college? you had to. Yeah. It was like another type of training. I actually got kicked off the team. I think I got like my second sending off, and I th they said, you're finished. But I'm gonna, I'll tell you one thing. I didn't want to play. Yeah. Because at, at a kid at that age, you're going to pick up horrible habits when you play high school. Yeah. There's also a lot so of So me playing high too. school, I'll give you an example. I could go through 10 people. Yeah. Maybe like eight out of 10 times, I, I'd pull it off. And what I noticed was I'd lose it and I wouldn't have to get back because they wouldn't punish us. The opposition wasn't as good. So now I'd go to the higher levels I was playing at and I'd watch... I've made these habits. I'm for, I'm 
You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So the 100%. best, the proper thing now, I don't even know if you're actually in an academy or the youth national team, I, they shouldn't even allow you to play high school. I agree with that. hundred percent. I've up never been horrible, a fan of high school anymore. habits. And the, yeah. the worst part is because in New York, it was known that Peter is, you know, one of the best in New York. Right. So what would I get? I'd get the opposition trying to prove to themselves I'm as good as him. I was getting man marked, tackled to the point where I just would give it one touch. So, so they wouldn't break my leg. So I was just like, I have to stop playing on this team. So how did, how did you then get uh, into the, to the college, your, your first college? Well, back was a then, gig. The, the, they would recruit from club, mm-hmm. mostly club actually back then, if you were on a high level club. Yep. So we, they had these rankings back then. We were always top 10 in the country. So we were always invited to the top tournaments. And sophomore, junior year, every tournament you'd see all around the touchline, every top university there. So from end of sophomore year, junior year, I was having daily 10 letters a day from every university in America, Ivy League schools, everything from watching those tournaments. Was the Disney Sun Bowl, was that one of the big tournaments back yeah, then? Disney was, I remember we went to Disney. Yeah. I can't remember the name of it exactly. I remember the Sun Bowl. The complex. Yeah. It was the Sun Bowl. I remember I went, yeah. uh, I used to go every year for that. It was, it was amazing. I mean, thousands of players, so many teams, and the fields were the nicest fields I ever played on in my life. Yeah. And there was uh, one incredible. that was like a proper stadium. Yeah. It was so yeah. cool. You had fans. We played in there once. It was nice. That was a good one, actually. Yeah, uh, that was and that's another thing we try to bring up is that the, the way to get to the next level before you can think about professional is so completely different in the United States. You have to go to these showcases. You have to be a part of these teams to go. And don't forget the cost to go there. It's not like a lot of the teams didn't have budgets to fly you there. You had to yeah. pay for your airfare or your parents did. You had to get your, your kit. You had to get your stuff, pay the entrance fee. Some of the clubs couldn't afford to pay the entrance fees for those. Uh, absurd. That, that's the thing I noticed. I'll be honest. In Europe, Brazil, all these countries, it's kind of like what boxing is in America. It's the sport of like the lower class. We'll get into that. What I noticed about soccer in America is all these kids come from not rich, comfortable backgrounds. And one of the things in Europe they always say is, not that it's a necessity, but they prefer a kid from a very difficult background because they're going to get through any situation. You know what I mean? It's tough to take a kid who at 16 was gifted a car, was get, you know what I mean? And yep. then put him live in this weird country and wherever you go, fight for a spot. So I always saw America, I noticed like these kids grow up like so different from the kids I knew growing up in Europe. I'm talking about I had teammates from Brazil who would send their whole paycheck home just so they'd have food to eat for the week. And like American professionals, that's foreign to them. They wouldn't get that. So like you said, you actually, you couldn't, you couldn't be poor really to keep up with, because we were on like five different teams and each one needed a fee. Each one needed plane tickets and yeah, like different. that's, That's one main difference. Yeah, completely different ball game here. Now, jumping, you you went, you started to play in college. Now, before you made the decision to ply your trade in Greece, did you was was there MLS considerations for you after college, or did you just say, you know what, so, I want to try and make it in Europe? 
and go from there. Okay, so when I was um, when I was twelve, this is how everything started, and this I'm the biggest believer in life of like you're always like everything is meant to be. You're supposed everything is supposed to happen. You're supposed to be in a certain spot, like so. Without this situation, I'm going to tell you none of this would happen. So I'm sitting at home in Long Island, and someone calls my father and says, "Your son plays football, right?" I mean, he's like, "Yeah." He's like, we need a player, just another body. We're missing a couple people for this match somewhere in Queens. So he's like, uh, how old? What age group? He's like 16. Well, he's like, well, my son's 12. Me, you know, little kid. I'm like, no, 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 I'll go, I'll go. So he takes me. Now, he's like, I probably won't even use him. Let's just go. Second half, he puts me in. I still, at 12, I didn't even know how... I hate talking about myself like this, but I didn't know how talented maybe I was or I liked it. But from the outside, someone else could tell more. Me, it was just give me the ball. I'm going to dribble. You know what I mean? I didn't know yet that I could do something special in it maybe. or So I just got in, you know, having fun, got the ball, did what I did. After the match, this coach of this team goes to my father and he's like, honestly, I've never seen a 12-year-old like this in America ever. So he's like, please, let's take him to Greece now. He's like, um, this is the guy. He's like, I know Dusan Bajevic. I know a couple other people. He's like, can we bring him now? Um, and my, even my dad, I think, and my mother were like, he's too young to go now. Ended up not going. But this guy always kept in touch with my family. He started personal, doing personal training for me. Um, and every, he would just keep asking at when I was 13, 14, 15, and I never would go. That's when um, then on my own, my club teams and regional, I had something where I could have gone to Crystal Palace. Again, my mom's like, he's too young. Um, I got offered to go to Panathinaikos uh, Academy when I was maybe 14. I didn't go. Man City, I actually spent a couple of weeks there. Um, and they said he can come here, stay like eight weeks, enter school. And this was before I went to college. And my mom's like, no, if he's like, he has to go to college. I wasn't crazy about Manchester, to be honest. Um, the whole two weeks I was there, it was pouring rain. Like, I'm like, I don't know. I'm too young to like, I feel, I feel so alone here. So I said, let me just stick to the plan and go to college. Even though I wanted to go to Europe so bad, I don't know. So I go back to America. And I chose St. John's University. The plan was to go with one of my best friends um, who actually ended up playing in MLS. His name was Knox Cameron. Um, this is my best friend since like 12. Unbelievable player. He played a couple of years on Columbus Crew. Was so close to signing for Olibiaco. Bajevic was going to sign him in summer. That summer, he ended up leaving and Solid came in. And the kid never ended up coming. That's football. The line of making it and not making it is the luck you need also is big. So um, so we were supposed to go to Brown University, an Ivy League school. Because my mom was like, oh, go to one of these Ivy League schools I want you. I'm like, man, I will fail out in three seconds. Like, <laughs> So we, me, and, me and Knox both didn't get into Brown. His grades and my SATs. So I said, okay, I'm going to go to St. John's. They were ranked like two in the country. After the first six months, 
I actually hated football. I feel bad saying like we were doing 95% running on a track and 5% touching a ball. So I'm like, I'm actually losing my love for the sport. This is like, I'm not enjoying it. So I had a friend of mine at American University who said, listen, the coach is like a football guy. Like everything is with a ball. Even the fitness we do is with a ball. You're going to love the sport again. He's like, come here. It's going to be me and you, the two uh, strikers. He's like, there's a kid I knew since I'm like 10 years old. So he's like, trust me. Like, I know you. He's going to give you freedom to dribble. Once you get in the final third, he tells me, do whatever you want. Go at people. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go there. So I ended up going to American University. And um, I'll finish this part of the story quick. So at American University, I wasn't eligible to play the next semester because I never went to class. You had to have like a, the bare minimum to be eligible was like, say, 0.8 or 1.2. I had like a 0.1. Like I never, ever <laughs> touched the book. But I, so this is when I called, I started thinking, I'm going to use these facilities to, to become the most fit I've ever been in my life. And even if I have to fly to Europe and knock on training centers and say, trial me, I'm going to do it. This is when it was real. It's either MLS, forget about it. I'm not even eligible to play next season. And I had been training with DC United, me and that friend of mine, because we were there in DC and they wanted us there because for the draft, it would be good for them. They're like, okay, we know these two. We see them train every day. If we can get them in a draft, maybe. So there was that possibility. Um, so luckily, we had the U.S. national team fitness trainer working at American University for all sports. So I call him. I say, Greg, listen, let's make a schedule. I want to train every – this was the offseason. I said I want to train – like an animal, as much as we can. Two a days, speed training, strength and conditioning. Uh, what's that called in English? I forgot. I feel like physical, um, like a physical, like a, how long you can run. What's that? I can't even remember. Endurance. Endurance training. Endurance, yeah. Um, so me and him were just, that was it, training. Like, it's funny because I didn't even really have a goal. It's, it's tough to train like that when there's no real goal to stay motivated. But I said, I have to be insanely fit just in case this guy that we kept in touch with gets me a trial. Just in case I just fly to Europe and literally start like I was so determined. This is why people kind of say, oh, you were so lucky, but you kind of make your own luck as well. So what ended up happening is this guy, like I said, who used me, who put me in the match at 12 years old. He said, I have a try at um, he told my father, yeah, I spoke to Bayevich. He'll trial him at I. So I'm like, perfect. Just what if I wasn't fit? Where I really shouldn't have been that fit in the off season in a university. You know what I mean? So that's when a lot of people say, oh, you were so lucky. You had that content, uh, contact. But I'm like, not really. I kind of made my own luck. That one phone call when he made it, I just so happened to be insanely fit, eating well, taking care of myself, which made my confidence so high because there were no nerves. I knew I was probably even more fit than they were. So out of nowhere, he just, my dad's like book a ticket, fly to New York and we're going together to Athens. So now up until that first training started, I knew physically I was fine. Now is when the mental, I, st I had to start telling myself, 
because this is the team that ended up winning the Euro. We're talking about Tiartas, Kapsis, um, Ivic, uh, Katsuranis. I mean, these are massive names for a kid who's never played anywhere. So I was starting mentally in my head to literally tell my things like they have two arms and two legs. They can't beat me for pace. I feel like I'm just as fit as them, if not more. And I'm saying things to myself like it just so happened they were born in Europe that they transitioned as a 12 or 13 year old into a professional setup and they kept going up the ranks. Besides that, like that's the of the, the big part of a trial is mental. Because it's weird. You're going into someone else's house to play, kind of. Like, you don't know what you can touch, what you can get away with, the people. You know what I mean? Being in a changing room with these big names. Everyone has ability. But how many people could walk in, sit next to these guys, Zagoraki, Charta, and ask for the ball? And maybe not pass to them and pass to someone else. Because these are people like, Charta was the type that you could score, and he'd look at you and say, I was open. Like, that's that demanding personality. Like, can you play next to that? So I was preparing myself for all this, a lot of like mental preparation. And first training I get there, we played, um, um, what's that called in English? I forget. Like a match between uh, starters against the subs. Scrimmage. And I'm obviously with the subs. So I was smart as well. So Bayevit says, what position do you play? So I said number six, which I didn't at the time. But I said, if I say winger, I won't touch the ball the whole match. If I say striker, same thing. I'm on the sub team. I'll touch it if I'm lucky twice. And I have on my back, Kapsis, who, good luck, you know, he's like an animal. Um, so I say number six. I'm like, where will I get the ball the most? Not number 10. I'm like, just right in the middle. I told them number six. So I'm looking in front of me as... Tiarta Zagoraki and Petkov. Like, so now I'm like, all right, I had already done the preparation. I already prepared myself that they will be in front, you know? So I started getting this thing in me, like I need, the, I want the ball at my feet. I need number one to see how fast the pace is of this training and how much time I have on the ball. So I was really looking for it, playing simple in the beginning. So my confidence is great. It ended up, we lost 3-1 and I scored the goal as my first day on trial in this match, second day, I go unbelievable. I ended up signing the second day. It took me two days. And that's how that happened. That's how I got there. It took, from the outside, like I said, a lot of people like said things to me, like, can you have him hook me up with the trial? And I almost, it was almost an insult to me. Like, oh, you think that's how easy it was? But it took a lot. It wasn't easy. It's very my one biggest thing I could say that was probably my weakness and a strength mentally. I was insanely strong that I wouldn't take, I wouldn't have someone tell me that guy's better than you, even though he probably was. I had this belief that no, 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 if I'm not, I'll become better than him. And it almost hurt me in a way that it's rare for a 20 year old to go tell Olympiaco if I don't start all the matches, I'm leaving. So it hurt me in that sense as well. So, yeah. Peter, can I ask you a couple of questions, like cultural questions? Mm. Are both your parents Greek? So my father was born in Greece. My mother is half Greek, half Italian. 
Okay. So when you made the move, when you went out there and, you know, you talked about turning up at Ike's training grounds and scrimmaging with these with these players that have just won the Euro, like Tartas, Kapsis, Katsuranis, and all these people, Zagorakis. What was it like for you, like going in there as a Greek American? Like, what what was your Greek like when when you arrived? What was the what was the reception like? You know, was it was it what I would expect, which is like, ah, oh, you know, here's the Xeno from uh, from from the states. Did they kind uh, of look at, did they kind of look down at you or like? What what was it like for you going in there? Probably mixed. Some people would just not even make eye contact with me. Probably thinking how this kid from America. My Greek was not great. Um, some people were actually like overly friendly, like very, very welcoming and everything. It was probably mixed. Um, that's the thing I noticed that I became... My goal was learn perfect Greek. I would not stop speaking all day. That some people are embarrassed to make mistakes. I just had to keep speaking. And I'd say to people, if I make a mistake, you have to tell me. It's so funny. Me and my friends now, still to this day, you know, now my Greek is like people think I was born here, but I'll speak with them and I'll say a word, say maybe a longer, more difficult word. And we'll be like, do you remember where I learned that word? Like, we remember exact how we laughed, how bad I'd mess it up, and where we were and why I remember it. So I just, that's a big thing as well. Um, in a country like Greece, it's more like you have to learn our values, our culture, our language. We're not going to be speaking English in here. So I was just all day just speaking, reading newspapers, everything. But it was kind of, it, it was difficult to kind of be in the changing rooms and not be able to speak or not be able to speak like I wanted to. So I'd say half, half. I mean, there were people, I won't say names that I still remember were very like, like I had to like really show them something to get accepted. It wasn't just, he's okay. Okay. Welcome to the team. It's like, you have to like, for us to be nice to you, like, you know what I mean? You, you have to show us work rate and this and that. And, and some people were more welcoming. But I like that. That's gone in football nowadays. Now it's, oh, you're 17. You don't have to carry the balls. Come, let's go out after training. Us back then, to be accepted to the group, we had to go through so much. Tackles, being spoken to poorly. And we had to take it. But that's what made us a tough. Like, captains, like, I always think I, I heard people at Bayern saying this. They're like, if you put Stefan Effenberg and Jens Jeremies and Khan in today's Bayern training, which Bayern still today is considered a tough team, they'd be like, there'd be tears. And coaches, I know, say we've had to change our philosophy for that. Kids are way more sensitive today. So it was a different time for us back then, which I wouldn't change at all. There's another question I had, um, like, and you started telling us a lot about you know how you how you got into football how you ended up in Greece a question I had earlier on in this discussion was like okay you sound like that kind of player you know in, in the schoolyard where you know there's 10 12 people on the wall and you know you've got two cap captains picking and you're the first player everybody picks and it's just Ooh. like Pete, Peter doesn't have a position on the pitch just give him the ball and Peter's gonna score type thing like did you 
did you always want to be a winger? Like you mentioned, you turned up at Ajax and you made kind of a a smart choice to think, where am I going to get seen? Like, where am I going to yeah. get a lot of action? And you you went and played defensive midfield. But but then, like, I mean, when you were twelve in that game that they threw you in, where did they put you? And like, did that impact your career in terms of the position that you started playing later on? And then, when did you really kind of establish yourself as a winger? My problem, I always said, was because I like to think I had a very good football brain and I watched so much football and I had so many players I'd emulate. So I had this thing when I was little. I said, today I'm going to kind of play like, I remember the names, like Figo, like Vieti, like Di Canio, like Cassano. Like I would, I would watch them all week. And I'd say, today, I'm going to play this position like this guy. And I would do it well, because I could kind of read their positioning, imitate their body movements. So sometimes, you know how they say you could be like a jack of all trades, but master of none, kind of? My problem was I was so good at so many positions. So I played from 12 years old, I played right back. I played winger. I've played number 10, like a number eight. I've played alone as a striker. I've played as a second striker. I've played on the left. I had coaches who said, we want you on the left to be cutting in. I never was taught, this is your position and master it. And I always say that's kind of, it's good and it's bad. I never spent more than maybe two years in the same position where I never really, really got to master a position. So when I got to Greece, uh, at I, uh, Bayevitz was trying to make me like a number 10, uh, he never, never would try me on a wing in training. So when I did get to Olibiaco, he said, could you have pace? I want you to be a winger, but that comes in as well. You're not going to be stuck on the wing. He's like, because in the middle, you see what's happening. We have Rivaldo, Giovanni, Stoltivi, Ed. There were so cafes. He's like, I need you to get matches this year slowly. And in the middle, you will never. So he's like, I'm going to use you as a winger. Um, So I said, fair enough. Me, I always loved that a coach would actually just tell me what's on his mind. Even if you tell me you're you're not a good player and like, let me know where I stand. So when he put it to me like that, that's when I really, really started trying to learn that position very well. And from then on, every other team I went to just knew me as a winger because they remembered, oh, Filipaco from Olibiaco, the kid on the right, you know. That's where you're going to play. It wasn't my preferred position. Um, I also had later in my career, someone put me right back, which I actually enjoyed. But yeah, that's the thing. Throughout my career, I always used to think I, it would have been nice to have one position that I played forever. I wanted to uh, kind of back up a little bit to when you were talking about your training with Ike, with Bajevich. I remember at the time I was in, I think I was in high school. And I remember when you then came to Olibiakos and mm-hmm. I was in the Cafe Neo with my papu. And that was the talk of the day, how uh, you were at Ike and there was an issue with papers, which then saw you over at Olibiakos when Bayevich was at Olibiakos. So what what made you decide to to make that switch over to Olympiacos? Was it was it actually an issue with the EU non-EU players, or was it was it just um, Bayevich leaving? No, so 
this is the funny thing how it happened. So by back at I, the president then was Petro Stathis. So that's who I signed with. So Bayevich basically said, when you, his, his father's gonna come negotiate for him his contract. And Stathis told me this later, that he was told, just sign the kid, make sure you don't lose him. Now everyone fears Bayevich. So it was gonna be tough to be like, we didn't. Now, it's a funny story because my father is a born negotiator. Like that's just what he does for a living. <laughs> so I'll never forget this. I'm sitting in Ike's offices in this little chair, just praying like, I, even if you tell me I have to pay Ike 10 euro a month, I'll sign. Like at that age, at that point, I just get me started. So I'm like, please just come out and have it be okay. And my father came out with like a little grin on his face. So I knew, thank God I'm signing. I didn't even look at the numbers, anything. Petro Stathi said, sign here. And I signed. It ended up that it was a, it was very good money. I, I don't think any 19 year old with zero appearances ever was making that much in Greece. Now it was the thing that Stathis knew. I can't call Bayevitz and say, we didn't sign him. That's how he put it. Make sure you sign him. And now I know my dad, how he negotiates. I've seen him in his business. So I knew I'd get like something good would happen, but I didn't even think I'd get the amount of money I ended up signing for. So everything is going well. I'm st- every day that goes by, my Greek was like a year later, I was having people at I say, I think you were lying to us, acting like you didn't speak Greek so you could listen and stuff. Like my Greek was getting amazing. I was very close with everyone on the team. Every day in training, I was playing so well. My confidence was very high. And every year on a team, the, like you feel more and more comfortable and your play is better. Like year two, it's like, okay, I'm not the newest one. I'm one of the older guys. Year three, even more. And as that comfort level gets better, the better you play. There's no fear of, do they want me? Do they not want me? What do my teammates think? So I knew I had just got a good chunk of time, that beginning period out of the way. And now I, I, I felt like I was cruising. I also saw what Ike was doing in the summer. That's the year all the top names left, most of them. And Santos came in and wanted to use youth. Like um, in the starting lineup that year was like Grasas and people who kind of Capadais came that year and they were going to start using the Greeks. So I said, this is perfect. I'm going to play for sure. Santos, we got along very well. Um, preseason was going very well. So what ended up happening was Demi comes in to Nikolaevi takes over. I'm sure, I mean, probably in this position, I would do the same when he looked through these contracts and say, Hey, why is that kid making this? Who is it by the way? Like, so they came to me and said, um, oh, in the meantime, Olibiago had already called me and said, Bayevich wants you here. And I said, I, I'm under contract. I don't really know what's happening. And they're like, okay, leave it. We'll get in touch with them. And so I didn't even think much would happen. So I go back to training with I. All of a sudden, Demi calls me. Sorry, Ivich had been, he, Demi gave Ivich a position there. Ivich calls me. He says, let's meet by your house and talk about your contract situation. So I said, okay, fair enough. He's like, look, you know, at the age you are, it's a lot of money for you to make. You know, we have financial problems. Um, You have to take way less money. 
which I understood, obviously. Um, he said something smart. He's like, look, the difference between, say, making 30000 a year and 100000 a year, you won't become, you're not going to solve all your life's economic problems and you won't be broke. He's like, you need appearances. He's like, don't think of the money, which was good advice. But now I had Olibiaco calling saying, we'll give you more than I was giving you, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, what do I do now? At that age, you're thinking money and stuff. Also, it's Olibiaco. It's tough to say no to. In the end of the day, um, I said to Olibiaco, okay, I want to come. Can you fi- call? I figure everything out, what, whatever it is to happen. And I ended up leaving and going to Olibiaco. But in the beginning, I was so settled in, I kind of really didn't feel like making another big move. Day one of training with Olibiakos when I said nothing bad against Ayak, but I the first day of training is when I realized, oh, this is why they win the league every year. Because the players, to be honest, were the same level. They were top, top players at Ayak my first year. Like the names you know. I think there was more players on that Euro team from Ayak than Olibiakos even. It was weird. Olibiaco had like Pado wasn't in it, Mavraginidi wasn't in it, Stoltidi wasn't in it. On paper, even I maybe like the individuals were even almost better. What I saw at Olibiaco is look at the, at the amount of guys who come into training an hour and a half, two hours before. Look at these guys who leave training two hours later. There was like a winner DNA in Reddy that you felt it, you felt the energy. That I you did not feel, and that I'll never forget that first couple of days. I'm like, this is going to be the, like a school, really. And I just, I would watch everyone and everything. Where at I, I never had that feeling of not much to watch. To be fair, you know what I'm trying to. There was no one setting any example where I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Top players, but Olympiaco was just di- like different level of. Top to bottom, the way the club was run. I, I, I got a difficult question for you because you were saying like you stayed at Ajax more than a season and you were settling in. And mm. then Ajax had the economic difficulties. If I remember well, like they were pretty much bailed out by the government. Yeah. And it was Demis that came in. Uh, and before, you know, before Demis came in, there were stories like Ajax was playing in the Champions League big clubs were coming over playing against Ike and the stories were that you know all these execs from the other teams were coming in and you know they were pulling out the caviar and you know the <laughs> wine and uh, and basically like they you know nobody was paying anything yeah. and that's part of the reason why they bankrupted the club anyway um the, the question is if and I, this is an if question but if you could go back do you think that you would have chosen to maybe stay another season at Ike with those young Greek players and you would have got a full season under your belt and then probably move to Olympiacos the season afterwards? And do you think that your career may have been a little bit different if you'd stayed at Ike one more season and got more playing time? Mm, That's a hard question. That's a <laughs> tough one. Look, there's a football answer to that and a life answer to that. Meaning if I could go back, like where I am right now in life, if you want to look big picture, I always think I love where I am and I wouldn't be here if every single bad experience didn't happen. Now from the football side, as I was in that middle 
part of Aiken Olympiaco, Panionio wanted me. A Panionio who had Cioli, Maggio, Spiropulo, Magnati. I probably, if you want to say what probably would have been the best like start to my career, maybe even that Panionio team to be a part of would have. I needed games. Yeah. That's what I was needed badly. Whether it was at it could have been at Ikea. That could have been big. But you never know. It's tough to say. Sometimes I think in life, like, I could say that, but I could have got a career-ending injury if I stayed there. You know? Yeah, yeah. The exp- okay, what happened at Olibiaco was I was not maybe mature enough. I had no agent. Everything I was doing alone. Probably thought I was more ready than I was, that I deserved more than I deserved. Were you alone? Were your parents there? Like, did you have support? No, like... everyone was in America. I was like going into meetings with like Luvadi, the vice president, alone. Just no preparation. I'd say, no, I want this. And I want like going to the the coach's office, just demanding, not demanding things, but I, I expect, like, I had these goals in my head of I'm going to play a couple of years at Olympiaco and go to Inter, I remember. Because I used to ask Jorgato, tell me about Inter. And I had this idea of, like, I can't get there if I'm not playing here. I was too impatient. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you one thing I always say, like, at Olympiaco in the beginning, a lot of people said, you're going to make a career here. Like, I was, like, looking back now, then, I was, a, a t- like, a very, very good talent there. My, the way I trained at Olympiaco, my professionalism. That's why I was so impatient, because I'm like, I see every day what I'm doing in training. Every time I'm given a chance, I have no nerves. Like, if I get 10 matches in a row at this level, like, I need to see what I can do. I know what I would do. So, and I saw what was happening. It's 50% my fault, to be fair. But back then, all the wrong steps were being taken to develop a young talent in Greece. They were handling them wrong. And I'll tell you something. Even someone like Mitroglou, look what he had to, he had to make miracles happen. And every time he went on loan, he had to average like a goal a match and then get back to, he was maybe a gold drought away from being Vitaf Niki somewhere, for example. Not saying he would have, he's a top player, but you get what I'm trying to say? Even a Mitroglou had to be loaned so many times. That's risky because you know how many Mitroglous I know who never made it through? Kids from the academy where I remembered, I'm like, this kid, unbelievable. Speed of thought football knowledge and these kids i used to check years later i'm like this is a shame as a club who i support olympiaco because i can say it that's like how do you how are you losing these players they should be getting money from them sold this is something that we talk about a lot this is something we talk about a lot you know why football especially in this market today Give me an average player with 50 appearances, he's worth two million. You know what I mean? Like you can get more out of them than having them on loan for their whole life and they'll definitely keep. 
or Gama Ethniki, and it's a shame. So back then, yeah, I take a lot of blame, but I could have been developed and used way more because I'm an investment. It's like buying a piece in, uh, in real estate, an investment property, and never painting it, never cleaning it. Never... Players are investments. You get a 20-year-old with heaps of talent, you have to give him some games, some confidence, some something. Not, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which, to be well, fair, I did get the first year with Bayevich. I can't say. Then the second year is just, that's what it was. I felt even, okay, now I'm ready to get more matches and the total opposite happened, which, like I said, there's zero regrets. Now I look at it more like just looking back at like general and football and I'm seeing what other clubs do with other countries that it's a shame Olympiaco has lost a lot of top talents. Well, while we're on that subject, how much of that, I know you said you put maybe 50% on yourself. How much of that is also on the coach? Because I remember, um, so the summer after uh, Bajevic uh, resigned, Solid Tron Solid came in. Yeah. And he's had very interesting experiences wherever he goes, everywhere he goes, he gets into it with players, staff. Uh, so uh, is there, is there any part of the coach? Like, is it, you said the organization, which we know, Gosta mentioned it. We've talked about how as an organization, Libyakos has unfortunately been quite poor with the development of its assets, of its youth, of its potential. Uh, there's been some improvements, but there's still a long way to go. At what point is it also on the coach? And in your specific case, if you don't mind explaining, Transali, um, because there were rumors in the Cafeneo as well that <laughs> that Transali. I remember hearing my Bapu and telling my Bapu, "Oh, Transali was like getting physical with with uh, Filipakos. He like hit him." I was like, "Wow, this guy." No, man, not that's... never physical. I we had to be <laughs> separated. Me and the assistant. Uh, the coach. Look, where there's smoke, there's fire. He had yeah. serious issues with Castillo. Yeah. With a couple other Greek players. So when you see one, two, three, four players having big issues, maybe there's something. For me personally, um, you know what the thing is? You're always so loyal to the person who gives you your first chance always. Right. And I would have ran through a brick wall for Bajevic. That's like I said before, um, like it is the luck you need or the difference of an amazing career to an average one is so thin, like that line. Like as long as I had Bajevich as a coach, he would have got 150% from me. And that's the way it looked like it was going, like called up to with Bajevich. I got say the 10 matches I got, I got a Europa League appearance. I was getting these little things I needed slowly. Okay, I've, I've played in that competition. I've seen that competition. My confidence was growing. I was in every traveling squad. U.S. men's national team contacted me. The Greek youth national team. The Greek men's national team was watching me because they had injuries at right midfield. So I was like, oh, this is next year. Imagine what's going to happen. So that's the thing, though. If I had Bajevic the second year, third year, fourth year, there was no doubt he would have got the best out of me. Now, that's football. Coaches change. I needed to learn, okay, we go back to zero. So I'm at fault. It was almost like, oh, Solid will ask about me, and he'll learn that, okay, this guy now is coming along. But to be fair to him, 
I, I should have started from zero. I didn't. And then he told me to go on loan, which again, I can't even fault him. I probably should have at that point. But I was like, no, 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 wait. Like, you don't know what Byron was telling me last year. How can I go on loan this year? There were people at the club. I mean, I'm not making this up. There's people like on the team who used to be in these conversations in these groups. They're like, oh, he, if he stays here 10 years, he'll be the captain of this club one day because they knew how much I loved it. They knew like in training, you knew I was extremely serious, extremely professional, playing unbelievable. So I go from one year being told one day, like you could be captain if you keep this up and the next year you're on loan. And at that age, like I said, impatient, I was like, no, that can't be. I'm going to just leave totally, which probably a mistake. Again, if I had someone who had been through these things or an eight, like a proper agent, maybe who like has been in these situations, he would have said, just go on loan six months. Luvad even said, he would say, he's like, I'm not letting you go. He's like, you know, Greece, this guy could be gone in two weeks. <laughs> so I just, at that age, even though you understand it, it doesn't sink in. You think you know everything. So I said, watch this. I'm going to leave. I'm going to do amazing. And you know what I mean? It didn't work out. So I can't really blame him, to be honest, now looking back. Because I'm also more level-headed in it and... Even if he was to blame at this point at 30, I couldn't even, I have no bad feelings towards him or anyone at that club. All of it was to be like, honest, you forget, like, now that I'm done, you forget the like 10 year old, like where my dream is to play for you. As it happened, I needed more and more and more. Like now I'm starting to realize just to sign a contract for that club is something I've insane for someone like me from long island new york you know what i mean and imagine i got to the point where my needs were well you got to use me so i can go to inter like it, i needed everything like right there so everything like i said happens like it's supposed to happen i learned a bunch of stuff that i'm this is another thing i wanted to get to like you guys are a bit a couple literally like a week early like I'm getting doing something to get back into football that I can't really speak about yet. But what's going to make me good at that now was all of those things I went through. Because I've been in every part of a career, every stage of a career you can be in. You know, being praised, being low, being in the middle, highs, like your mental state, low confidence, everything. So now, it, like I said, big picture, I wouldn't have changed anything because it's what's going to make me good at what I'm going to do now. How has it was nobody, all a lesson. How has nobody made a documentary about you? Like, I mean, you're the, the, the story that I'm hearing, and, and especially in the context of Olympiacos, it's so fucking awesome. <laughs> like, you turn up, you turn up in 2004. The year that they, you know, the stadium, the new stadium opens, Rivaldo's just signed. And, you know, if I remember well, Yanakopoulos had just left to Bolton. Yeah, uh, you, you mentioned like, you know, they were, they were priming you for captain if you stayed some years. You had everything going for you because you were a winger, you were bold. <laughs> you, you literally can't make this stuff up. And, and anyway, like, you were... If I remember well, Rivaldo was starting on the right. 
in the big games, like in the big games in Europe, Bajevic yeah. didn't he didn't play with a number ten. He would play Rivaldo out wide on the right, cutting in. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember who who your direct competition was, but but anyway, man, like literally listening to the whole story is uh, really amazing, and there were there were some amazing personalities on that team uh, when when you joined the club, and I just wanted to like mention four or five like personalities like coaches uh players one by one i'm going to give you some names and i just want you to describe the first thing that comes to your mind you know when i okay. when i mention the name okay in like how many words like whatever man you know okay. whatever, whatever comes to mind so all right the first person is Djordjevic. i do you to say that that's why i said how many words <laughs> he's someone uh he used to call me big mac because of the america connection big mac uh, big mac yeah him oh, when i say loved him like um he's one of the person i always kept in touch with also up until like this day georgievich was i'll explain him right now he was that type where he'll do like in a he could play a friendly with Ionico and be him that say like unbelievable and he'll be that if not better in like a champions league final like this guy there was something missing in his like genes that and like being nervous or if you remember the darbies would like the stuff he would do like he was that person where he could he was the one where you're like okay we know we're gonna get a 10 out of 10 like rating from him today he, he was like some players are will give you a 10 and then a three or a nine and then a four, like every match. Change. Like Georgievich was just the most steady, like he will give you that same performance every time. He believed in himself so much, silky on the ball, unbelievable captain. He was one of those, there's two kind of captains. One, like the yellers, Georgievich would enter the chain, like a changing room. It wouldn't have to speak, and you'd see the energy go back to like almost this. Like it was just demanded respect. Everything about him, I loved. I loved him so much. Like all, all the foreign players that we talked to, like Zelias, Zetterberg, all of these guys, they they were like, you know, this guy's one of the best players we ever played with, and it's it's such an honor. The guy stayed at the club forever. You know, he's our Totti or he's our whatever. You know, the, the guy could have moved to Juventus. He signed the new contract. Yeah. I think Man United were looking at him. It's crazy, man. But, but yeah, the, the next, the, the next one is is Tasos Pados. He was one of your teammates as well. Tasos Pados. Okay, so Pados, um, good friend of mine. We actually roomed together a couple of times. Loved him. He is okay. I'm going to give you an example now. Like I said, getting back into football and what I look for in a player or something. Dasopado is the type where, say I was a scout, I'd, I'd take him 10 times out of 10 over one of these unbelievably talented kids with bad body language where you could tell he's a bad character. Like Pado, you could tell this guy's going to be one of those that make a career and will make money until he's 38. It's harder, I think, to know what you're good at and not good at and keep doing what you're good at and have a very like prolonged career. That's not easy because every footballer wants to try and dribble and do trick. 
that steadiness like him is hard to do. And you have to be insanely mentally strong. And his character is unbelievable. So like I said before, there's some players who are so unbelievable, talented, but like I can watch them and I know I can see their body language say when they lose the ball or when their team is losing, how they act. That's the type of player where you're like, he's not going to make a career. As good as he is, he will not have a long career. Pablo's that type where you could look at, like this guy will always be at a top team. That's the coach's first pick. Literally, those are the type when you make your 11, it's Pado, and then later is Nady, Giovanni and stuff. Like that's what you base it on. Like that's what he was so good at. Understanding what you're good at and not good at. He was... Um... He was a 10 out of 10 player for effort, like every game. He, that's why the fans loved him so much. I was, I was at a game, uh, I think we were winning three or four nil and we got a penalty. And I remember the entire stadium started going, for Pados to hit the penalty. I think he took it and he missed it. But anyway, what a legendary player. The next one. had come to watch him as well. I don't know if you remember. Inter were interested in Stoltidi and Pado, and I was saying, look, the two guys not in the national team, just to show maybe politics wow. and Greek national team. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> let's not let's not get into that because we'll need uh, <laughs> we'll need a whole other podcast for that one. But, um, the next one, the next one is someone you mentioned already, Bayevic. So Bayevich comes in in 2004. Like I, you know, my my dad used to love Bayevich. Uh, he, I mean, he built that 98 team up and he changed the history mm. of the club coming from Ajax, then going back to Ajax, then coming again. There were so many people that literally hated this guy. Um, yeah. and, and, and the whole history of how he left at the end of that season after winning a double. Ari and I were talking about this before and Ari was like, oh, he resigned. And I was like, don't you mean he was resigned oh, by the boy? Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. anyway, for me, like the guy, he just had this reputation of being a complete hard ass. Like uh, we've heard stories about Castillo and Giovanni kind of joking around in the hotel and like something's fallen off the balcony and hit Bajevic in the head. And like, what was he like, <laughs> man? Like, wh what was he like? Was he, was he, did he have a pole up his ass half the time or like, you know? Um, look, he had a good sense of humor. Very okay. good. I, like, I saw a side of him, which I had to earn. Like, some people think, oh, he was, like, your uncle or something. Like, no, I earned that. Like, he loved me. He saw how hard I worked and everything. But I also was the type I'd ask him a lot of questions. I'd go into his office. and So I knew a different side of him. And even with me, I, even though I knew he respected me and liked me and I knew where I stood, I still feared him as well. I think Bajevich had that perfect mix of his door was always open. You could talk to him, but you still feared him. It's tough to get that balance. Bajevich was better at, I'll tell you one thing. He was, which is more important for a manager. He was better at being a leader and managing humans like men than the tactical part. Not saying he wasn't good at tactics, but I've had a, so many coaches who were, tactical like magicians that got the other part wrong maybe they were too friendly or may that's the tough part can you manage 30 big rich guys personalities like you know how hard that is Bayevich had that down pack meaning 
every single person that had an 11, even if you played poorly, you knew you got the max out of them every match. And that will get you over the line and win matches. That's why he was what he was. Um, his trainings, his trainings were good, but to be fair, they were very like structured. Like some days you knew what you were doing in training. And it was like, all right, like some of that part is lost. Like some coaches like, oh, today we're going to do this or I'm so happy. But that's bad as well. We don't, it's not a playground. Like we're like, you know, when you're young in gym class, yeah, we're playing dodgeball. I've seen that not work with coaches. Like Bivich, you know what? If It felt more like what it was. It's work. You go to work and you go home. But it was very organized and you put in a full shift of work. And it just, it felt like a, like a very like well-oiled machine going. Like everyone was giving their best, like I said. Now, who's going to clash with him in that type of manager? It's the more creative players and stuff. Why maybe a Rivaldo or Giovanni Castillo had a problem with him? They want that freedom to be who they are and good on them. That's how those are those type of players. Sometimes you have to be, this is more modern thinking now that Bajovic, I can say, could have changed. You can't, the things you could do to Pato, for example, you can't do to Nate. You're going to lose Nate. And losing Nate is a disaster because he's something that comes around once every 30 years. That's the one, the only negative I could say, negative. He still won leagues like in his sleep. But that's the only thing I noticed. He would kind of like everyone was the same, treated the same, which helped in many ways. But you could lose like a Castillo like that, which is a big loss. So it's like kind of an emotional intelligence thing. It's like, yeah. You've got to treat X player different from Y. I know Ferguson talked about gigs at, at Man United. He was like, he knew that the way to get gigs to play if he had a crap first half was to shout at him, just like be aggressive. Yeah. And then gigs would come out in the second half and he'd be pissed off and like he'd be focused and like want to answer the manager's criticism. At mm. Beckham, it was more like, I need to put my arm around him and like tell him, you know, whatever. Exactly. And, and it was like a different kind of approach. And maybe, maybe Bajovic didn't have that. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I mean. Yeah, he did. It's, it's a different. Was, yeah. he's, he kicked me out of training once and made me run around for 45 minutes like this. <laughs> me. <laughs> we were playing two touch and I took three, which everyone was taking three here or there. But he does things like this. He'll test. Let's see how he reacts to this. So he blew the whistle on me and yelled at me. You took three touches. So I took the ball and I punted it out of Reddy, literally left the training complex. And he screams at me, leave, get inside, oh, uh, go run around 45 minutes straight. So even me, who like, he was pushing me, doing stuff like that to see, I want this kid to learn. I don't care who you are. You know, I like you, but I'm going to still show you, make you question or make you keep working for me. There was genius in that. He knew what he was doing. Before I end, that's actually was what you just said. What Ferguson did, Bajovic had that. So if you notice what Bajovic did, if you remember Yanakopoulos, Djordjevic, Jorgato, all these people, same kind of age, young, Greeks. So what Ferguson said once, if you want a team, like long-term to be good, you have to get them. It's what I said before. You're always loyal to the guy who gave you your chance. Why Ferguson did what he did by selling, you know, Paul Lins, Ken Chelskis, every all these big names. And he, back then, everyone is like, 
what is happening? Nikki Butt, the Neville brother. No one could believe what he was doing, but he knew. He knew because of what I'm giving these guys, I have them so loyal to me for the next 10 years. So that's why that core of Olibiaco that went so many years winning titles is the ones Bayevich brought, gave their chance, and they respected him so much. And if he had his chance, that's what he wanted to keep doing. He was already bringing in the year he left in 2004, five, was it? He already had maybe six, seven kids from the um, second team training with us. Those are the kids I said, some kids, top, top players. And Bayevich already had him ready to come in and be playing the next year. And that's what he wanted to do. And it never happened. And these kids literally lost. Like, Yeah. I've got one last one. One last player. Um, I think he's a buddy of yours still. He's a fisherman now, I think. Neri Castillo. I was telling someone this yesterday. So Neri was... Uh, okay, like the names. Just picture like those teams. Like I, Olympiaco, these players I've seen. Neri was probably the one which was the most freakish Meaning he's the first time I said, no matter what I do, I will never be that. Meaning like the God, the gift he had from God, number one, was I've never, even Rivaldo used to say, this kid is for Madrid or Barcelona. This is a rare talent. Nady in training, the pace, the speed of thought, like even if he was slow, he would be good. A lot of people think Nady was just pace. His brain was working three times faster than everyone else's, meaning before the ball came, he'd make these turns that maybe on television look easy, but in training, what he sees before it, like this kid was meant to be a footballer. It was his gift. His football brain, his speed of thought, now add to it the control he had, the pace the balance, he could beat you either with pace, with balance. Um, so many things, his finishing. We used to watch him in training and oh my, like, this is not normal. He, he stood out from it, I promise you. Like in our training, just think about Jorgato, George, Neri, if you brought someone who knew nothing about football, he'd be like, that kid is something insane. Like it just, you could tell, Nady, and I'm not saying it because he was the, my friend. He was just doing things I had never seen. Nady, though, um, obviously I'm not going to into that. He had like a lot of people don't understand on the inside. He had a very tough life because pe- he was that good that anything under Real Madrid, you would say, "Oh, Nady was you know, his career was a failure." But man, this kid, look what he did for Olympiaco. His highlights, goals, you won't see it like that again in a cup final with I to even try to do what he did, let alone pull, pull it off. Like this kid was something else. Like one of these rare, rare talents you don't see. Peter, I have another question about your time at Olympiacos. Uh, and this is something we ask all of our former players because we get sort of a, a reputation or at least, you know, the, the, the old men in the Cafe Neo have this reputation that Oh, these, the Greek players, uh, they have the souvlaki diet, you know, um, (laughs) let's just say that they don't necessarily uh, adhere to strict nutritional requirements. And we asked this to Stelios Yanakopoulos, and it was kind of funny because we were sort of like saying it with a joking tone and he was like, right away, like, no, 
no, it was very serious. Like we had Maria, the dietitian. She she got us right. We could we had to eat all this stuff. It was very strict. Um, you know, we we've asked other players about this, and they've all said like it was really um, on the mind. And I can imagine like when Bajevic was there, you talked about how organized he was in terms of arranging training. Like, what was that like for you? How much attention did you get for your nutrition um, and stuff like that off the pitch? I'll tell you one thing, probably. I played first division Czech Republic. Not on the, not Sparta Prague, not Slavia Prague. It was like a mid-table Czech team, first division. They looked after us more in that aspect than Olubiako did. Not that Olubiako wasn't, we were taking our vitamins. We had the restaurant there, we ate. But for someone to actually like, tell us what should we should be doing like while at home and really the diet part and the what time you sleep and the what time your last meal should be and really getting into that. I mean, even the team in Czech Republic was above, was ahead of Olympiaco on that. Not that Olympiaco was behind, but now just imagine the Premier League, what they're doing in Spain and Italy. So that's things I know people who have played in Greece and in Italy, where I used to ask these things. They said, Okay, Italy, forget about it. They're just light years ahead. Not that Greece is behind, but I'm sure now it's even more advanced. But back then, I wouldn't say they were at the top of that. They were they were maybe behind the rest of Europe. And it also, because I was coming from America, there were things I had learned in, in America about diet and all that stuff and regimens and times you eat and all that, that the Greek kids hadn't learned yet. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't say very behind, but not advanced also. I actually wanted to go back to Nere Castillo a little bit, and I don't know how much you watch of the current Olympiacos team, but it sounds kind of like Costas Fortunis. I don't know how much you no. watch of Olympiacos. Well, what level would you say Fortuny is, though? He's like one of those players that you watch him sometimes, especially before that ACL injury, and you're thinking, this guy could play in any team in England. Like, oh yeah, he could for sure. What What do you think about that? Like, do you make a comparison to Fortuny to some of like the players you played with? Like, what do you think his level is at as a player? No, Fortuny, very very good player. Obviously, he's one of these people like that, born to be a footballer. You could tell how he thinks on the pitch. To com- like comparing him to. You mean just like talent-wise or actually talent-wise? Yeah, I mean play? not just the style of play, but talent. Okay, like you yeah, see, there's just so much talent there. You know, Fortuny definitely could have um, could like younger. I think if he went younger to a big European club right now, he'd be at an even bigger one at a massive level. But maybe not also, because I've spoken to two people on that side. I've had people who had left Olympiaco and had careers outside of Greece that say it would have been nice to stay at Olympiaco my whole career. And I've had people who stayed their whole career at Olympiaco who are now legends of the club who say, I can't believe I didn't try and go to a Juventus or something. When That's the tr- problem with a footballer. Nine out of 10 times when you finish football, all you have is the what I should have done. It, no matter how amazing your career is, and I think I have regrets. I've had people with almost like near perfect careers who have those regrets of it's funny, no matter what path you take, the ones say I should have left and tried it. And some say I should have stayed at Olympiaco my whole career. So I can't really say like, 
Fortuny should have left early. He's going to be a legend of a massive club in Europe for the rest of his life. You don't know how it's going to go when you leave. For example, with Nady, maybe the move was staying his whole career. Maybe not. Like, you never know how it's going to work out. Sometimes it's like they play. I don't want to say any names, but you know who I'm going to be talking about. Some kids play maybe 20 appearances and get sold somewhere. Right? And you see how it works out. They're at weird clubs now and they bounce around. I don't know what what's better than being on Olympiaco in the Champions League guaranteed every year, fighting for titles. Sometimes it's better to win a title in a lesser league than fight relegation in like the Premier League. So that's up to like a personal thing, should you leave or not. But I see a lot of kids go too early and sell themselves short. Like they go for 5 million when they could go for maybe 15 million two years later and walk into a team ready. There's a lot of, you know, like when you see these transfers happen, after 5, 10, 15 appearances, you'll see someone get sold. And I'm like, he's not ready. Olibiaco should have got way more. And the team buying them, you're not getting a guy who even has 20 appearances yet at the top level. Like staying at Olibiaco for me never hurts. Winning titles, getting that experience. The more titles you win, the more clubs from the outside are looking at you. So it's a, that's a tough one in football. You're always, no matter what move you make, you're going to say, what if, or should I? It's tough. Yeah, of course. It's, all, it's like one of those grasses, greener things. Because the uh, stakes are so high in football. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, I had one quick question for you before we begin to move on into the fan questions. We have a, a bunch of fan questions for you. Okay. Um, and that was about, uh, you brought up a few times, your, your fitness level. Uh, how physically fit you were, your endurance, your stamina coming into Greece. You knew you were ready, at least physically, you could compete. Uh, one thing that in the States we do get lauded for when it comes to football is our physical fitness training. Americans that have played in leagues abroad, everyone has always remarked on how physically fit the players mm-hmm. were. Look, and even the U.S. national team. How many times has the U.S. national team brought it back in the dying stages of a game because they could still run while the other teams were were dying on the field? So in that respect, even though the U.S. is miles behind so many other aspects of development, where would you put the culture around fitness for athletes? Is it is it there with how, how athletes are in terms of their fitness in Europe? Are we maybe a little bit better, a little bit worse? What, what's your take since you actually experienced it um so you're saying for the where's the americans at in the fitness fitness well right so like your your fit like fitness wise when you when you went to greece and like you were just starting with ike even when eventually i was i was ahead of them the kids that i to be honest right not the kids the guy um the thing not that they're not fit in europe but in america First of all, the facilities we had, even at a, like an average university, are so unbelievable. Like I had a Greek friend of mine visit me in America, and I showed him a high school. Now, like if you guys have seen a high school in Greece, it's the building and maybe like a cement basketball court. So we drive by acres and acres of land, and I tell my friend, I'm like, "That's a high school," and he's he laughs. I'm like, "No." a high school he's thinking like bigger than like Barcelona's training complex is this 
acres and acres of land. And he's watching. How many football pitches are there in American football? And this. So the facilities we have now in America allowed us to do so much more. Now, just when I went to Ike, we were training. They didn't have the training complex they have now. It was in Flaco Maquedones. It was two pitches side to side and a gym that was the size of like, like a studio apartment. You know what I mean? Now, yeah. at the university, we had four different gyms. One of them was just full of speed training equipment. One of them was like hurdles for like jumping and explosiveness. We had the track. We, it was endless. So even on my own, I had more to do. Even after training, I used to go train alone and use all these things. So take away back then when I came, like Panathinaiko, Libyako, had a good complex every other team was like a basic like pitch in a small gym so you couldn't compete with the facilities in america there was no way the science was also way ahead in america my youth uh clubs we used to go uh, that i used to play for we used to actually this was 16 17 our youth club had a speed training coach twice a week like running literally with like parachutes tied to you and doing all this stuff Talk to us about diet. Um, tell us the importance of like each food, what it does, and like body fat tests and this and that. Like very, very ahead back then. Um, even back then in America, the stuff I was getting that even at some Greek clubs, I've never seen that. So America, yeah. If you are, they were ahead in that aspect, like the sports science, like the knowledge right. of it, not just the basic eat this before a meal, eat this after a meal, take vitamins. Like it was, they were way deeper into it and could explain why when you eat this, this happens with your body and how you burn stuff and why the importance of little details of, you know, finish eating at this time and don't sleep any minute before this time. And they'll explain why. Like I, I was lucky I learned this from 15, 16 years old and that carried me through. I used to keep these little things with me. Greece, we never had someone really get into the science and tell us that. Well, uh, that's very, that's that's another great insight as well. And I think, yeah, it's sort of an interesting dichotomy between America and Europe. Um, we've got a couple more fan questions. Uh, we don't want to take up too much of your time. Obviously, we are that's having it. a blast. But, um, and you, you also did touch on a lot of the questions that people asked already, which is great. But mm. the first one that I'll ask is from, uh, Kostas Parazopoulos, who guessed you correctly, who's the first one to, to guess you. So uh, he will get the first question. His question is, when you signed for Olympiacos, the club was entering its more modern phase with a brand new stadium, big signings, and Greece had just won the Euro. How did you experience the transition for the club as you were trying to break into the team? Um, like the transition of moving from the old club to the, to the new club or the transition of the new stadium and everything? Yeah, sort of like, I guess, uh, modernizing as a club and like you sort of okay. come in right as all of this change is happening. Like, did you sort yeah, of notice I, I touched that? I a bit on it to speak of the difference that Olympiaco just felt like, I don't want to say a bigger club, but just a winning mentality and you felt. So what I learned about Olympiaco is the smallest details 
that are so important in winning a title. Like I started learning, it's not just the roster, the 11 and what we do on Sundays, like the club as a whole, it taught me more like my football, not like IQ just went up so high at that club watching how it's run. Um, it's the first time I really started learning how to take care of myself off the pitch. I, because I'm watching these examples that I was getting, I had to be one of the first into training. I had to be one of the last. Because when you see a guy 35, for example, doing it, what's my excuse? I'm 20. I should be working double what he is, you know? So it was such a, like, good, I remember positive feeling. I was just loving training, loving being at that complex. Um, it was such a smooth transition, to be fair. Um, I never once felt I don't belong here or they're being mean. It was just a very like family feeling almost. Like it felt like I've been at this club for three years. Mm. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's, it's okay to call us a bigger club, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, so I do, we always ask one question because we do have uh, uh, some connections with the local Libyakos academies here in the States. We have some okay. listeners. Uh, from their players so we always like to ask from the former players what piece of advice would you give the now aspiring young young players 15 16 even 17 years old uh, maybe it even would be uh, more helpful to say what it, what piece of advice would you give yourself if you could go back in time to when you were 14 15 years old you've just set your mind you want to be a football player what would you tell yourself if you could talk to yourself again at 15 years old. Oh, what advice would I give myself? Not another kid aspiring to be a football player. Well, well yeah, it's, been, it's, it's advice for the, the younger kids, but sometimes I've, I've found okay. that it's more helpful if you well, ask the that's what the advice I was going to say. The one thing I say is the reason why, because I said I've heard no a lot, mm -hmm. but luckily it's the one thing I had. The one thing I would tell other kids who always get um, – because I speak to a lot of kids in football, a lot of my friends who have kids always hit these stages in, in the little, not careers yet, but in their path that they always ask me about. And it's always the same. Not every coach is the same. You can have one coach who thinks you're amazing and one that doesn't. Like I said, at 12, I had someone who told me I'm a right back and they didn't take me to the New York State team, which those things never phase me. So I would tell a kid... Right keep believing in yourself. It doesn't matter. Keep going. You could have in football, nine people could say, no, you just need one. Yes. Like one coach to say, I like you come play here and just listen to your coach. This advice. Sometimes I tell them that parents don't like to hear is that where a lot of kids go wrong. So now, like I said, believe in yourself, even if it's not going well, everyone hits their growth. I was slow at a point, very slow. I'll never forget. I'll never, I have little things that drove me through my career. I walked in a hotel room and heard these two kids talking about me. I will never forget it. And I hear how slow is Peter? I'll never forget this. Because I was one of the tallest at one age, young. And then I became one of the shortest. You, everyone's body develops different. I was slow for some reason, right? But look how it stuck with me. I'm talking about like, this is like 30, 20 something years ago. What did I do? I went and bought all the speed training equipment and I was like a crazy person running with all this equipment every day. 
now my body developed and in Greece, they were considering me as the fastest player in the league. And so you don't take any criticism from anyone, whether it's, you need to work harder, but if anyone says you're not good enough, that type, do not listen to them. Just keep going and going and going till it's physically impossible not to make it anymore. Cause you'll always regret stopping. Then you have to live your life wondering, well, what if I kept trying? Now, the other thing I would say is listen to your coaches. A lot of kids more in America, because in Europe, they'll take your child and put them in a professional setup where the parents don't really see training and everything every day. In America, the dads will say, you should be doing this. You should be doing this. You should be doing this. Well, his coach wants him to do something different. If he's not doing what the coach is saying, well, he'll be on the bench. So I see a lot of American parents yelling, hey, do this, do that. So I always tell my friends, just whatever the coach says, do it. That's what's going to keep them on the field. For anyone else watching, how are they going to scout your kid if he's on the bench? Because you told him to do the opposite of the coach. So those would be my two main things. Like, just don't ever listen to anyone that you're not fast enough, good enough or anything. And just keep doing what your coach said. And I, I have another question about fans. I, I can't believe we didn't touch this. Like, in America, I even at a college level, there's probably not much fan relationship. But are there any stories yeah. of like fans coming up to you on the street or just fans in the stadium that like, I don't know, that you find interesting or that was just like something new, you know, like someone recognizing you? I don't know if that was even a thing in the States. In the States? Um, or no, in Greece. In Greece, do you? Oh, in like, Greece of, all the time. Like, Olympiaco is the biggest club in Greece. Like. I think it has, yeah, and all, especially Athens, I think the biggest percentage are Olympiaco fans. Like, you don't pay for things. Everyone's going to come, like, the pick. Uh, so that's real. You food. don't pay for things. Like, there were times you would go for a coffee and they would just say, no, you don't pay. No, that's real. Yeah, nothing. Never. Wow. Um, so not that's never. That's why we bankrupt. Fan, yeah, you're not. Especially if you had just won a match, especially a big match. Like, never. Um, yeah, now the camera phones have just come out. Kids are going to always take pictures. The funniest is the girl situation. That's like the funniest thing to me. Can I tell you a quick story? Like, this is funny. I would go like at that part in the south of Athens by like the beaches and everything. There were two, three very popular summer clubs. And I don't really like leaving the south. I like to stay over here by the water. So I would go to these same clubs every night. So I would see the same girls every night, same guys. I knew all the owners, so I felt comfortable there. So there was this one girl. Someone said she's a singer. I don't know, whatever. So I kept, it was so funny. She obviously didn't know who I was. All I would say is, want to even just anything, get an answer back. I'd be like, how are you? Nothing, wouldn't speak to me. Next night, I'd say to my friends, watch this. I'm going to go ask what time it is. Ask her what time it is. Wouldn't even open her mouth, turn her head. I'm like, this is hilarious. To the point, nothing. Maybe I've tried 20 times, nothing. It became a joke. I'm like, you think she'll speak tonight? Nothing. Anyway, uh, one random night I'm at home and my phone rings and it's her. And I'm going to tell you what happened. This is like weeks later. So there's this shop here that everyone goes and eats crepes at and um, like dessert crepes and late after going to Buzuki and clubs and stuff. This could be at like Anywhere from 4 a.m. to maybe 8 a.m., this place is packed. Like, everyone goes there. So there's um, pictures all over the wall of the singers, athletes, uh, actors. So they put them up. 
So my friend owns it, who's a big Olibiaco fan, and he's like, put your picture up. You're going to write something, and I'm going to hang it on the wall. Randomly, this girl goes there one night, and he sits her right at the table under my picture. <laughs> so <laughs> Top wingman. She's eating, he says, and she looks up and sees it, and she calls him over. She's like, he plays for Olibiaco? And my friend's like, yeah, he's actually, you know, we're friends. She's like, do you have his phone number? He's like, okay, here, take it. This long story short, is now it's like 5 a.m. And my phone rings at like 5 a.m. It's her. I'm like, hello? She's like, um, hey, it's me. It's me now. Like, who? me who? Talking like we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, she's like, you know me from like Galea, whatever, naming the club. I'm like, oh, one who never speaks to me ever. Like, it's so loud in the, yeah, she's like, it's so loud in there. I can't really hear, you know. And she's like, you didn't tell me you played for Olibiaco. Now it's my fault. I didn't lead with I played for Olibiaco. <laughs> so long story short, I'm like, oh, so now that's why you're calling me. She's like, yeah, they're telling me here you play on the, on the team. I didn't know. So I'm like, look, um, I'm going to call you tomorrow when I wake up. I knew I was never going to call. Like in the next week, I had maybe, not exaggerating, 100 messages and 200 missed calls. Athenian girls, ma'am. Athenian girls. They sm they smell something like I don't know, it's but like, like booty it, cool booty cool man at five in the morning. <laughs> but not only that, I'm talking about I had a hundred missed calls after, but like it's playing for Olympiaco like is here. It's a big thing, but it's yeah. so funny that I got to see that because I arrived in Greece, no one knew me. I used to see a girl look at me, like you look at another human on the street, and you. And then I used to see him make eye contact when they knew I played for Olympiaco. And it was like, I was so good. They look at me like I was, I felt, I must be like good looking now. Like you could see the difference <laughs> in the eye contact. And that, I used to think of that. Like I'd see in the distance, some girl just staring. Where before that, it would just, you'd go by me and nothing. Like you make yourself believe I'm better looking. I'm funnier. I'm smarter. Like that's a big life lesson too. I got being at Olympiaco so young. I got to see friends also, people, what are they here for? What are the reasons they're close to me? And there's good life lessons to pick up from it. That's why I said in the bigger picture of things, like I love who's around me in my life right now. And maybe if I didn't go through those things, you wouldn't see that stuff. But yeah, stories like that, it's very funny. Police pulling me over. Um, well, I'll tell you one more funny story, can I? Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I please. So I, I just bought a new car, a Mercedes. Just bought it. I had no license plates on it, no insurance, nothing. <laughs> but I couldn't wait to go out. So I called my friend. It's nighttime. I'm like, let's just go for a drive in it. It's summer in Greece. I didn't even put a shirt on. Now, I don't know, like for my pictures, I'm like full of tattoos. So we're driving because I didn't expect to get out of the car. I was going to pick him up. We were going to go for a drive and come back. So he's like, let's go up here. So he's driving me in these neighborhoods. We're in like this part of Vula that very important people live, like ship owners, and they have their own security in that neighborhood. So he's like, they're gonna stop us in about 20 meters. I'm like, who, why? He's like, that car we passed is security. He's definitely gonna signal to the other guy. Now I have no license plate, no insurance, no shirt on, full of tattoos and a new Mercedes. I'm like, why'd you bring me here? He's like, I wasn't thinking. So the next thing I know, there's a knock on my window. I turn and there's a gun in my face. The security probably saw 
they probably thought I was a drug dealer or something with the way I look, no shirt in this neighborhood at like this time. They say, get out of the car. And all I want to do is just tell them like something, do you, like who I am or anything. They don't even let me speak. They look through every part of the car. The CDs, remember the old days, the CDs that like the case, they looked through and took out every CD looking for like drugs. Finally, he's like, give me your license. Finally, I give it. And he goes like this. What did Kokali buy you this car? And he throws it back at me and says, go home. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like if he had looked at the license before, but the, they don't, yeah, they don't give you tickets if it's an Olympiaco fan. But you realize Olibi, like, yeah, Olympiaco fans love and like the players so much. They will do whatever to take care of. It's a good feeling. So epic. <laughs> so epic. Yeah, I was, I'm uh, just I'm just thinking, what if that what if that security guy was Panathinaikos? I mean, oh, yeah. we might have a very Jail. different oh, that story. Look, Jail for had you. I had no plates, no license, no nothing. Thank God I had my my license on me. Well, <laughs> But stories like that are funny. Um man we could sit and listen to stuff like that for literally yeah, all day that's that's, uh, that's that's incredible me i was like barely famous like ones with some of my teammates like very very hilarious yeah. stories <laughs> well we've got one last segment for you i think i think costa will be leading this one but uh we like to end the podcast when we have special guests with something a little bit lighter um and and so i think costa is gonna jump into that now okay Yeah, man, just, uh, Labro, do you want to do it? We do a quick fire round, just like some quick questions. Like, uh, do you want to take it away, Labro? I can do it. Yeah, I'll try to do it. Do so it. anyway, is any TV show you like right now, any movie? TV show or movie? Um, War Dogs is my favorite movie. Probably one of them. That's a good one. Um, TV show? I don't really watch TV shows. Entourage I like. Just because oh, I love the whole, show. like I'm obsessed with LA. Yeah, I loved Entourage. Great. Show. So, so I know you split time between. I saw it on your Instagram, LA and Athens. LA yeah. or Athens? Where do you choose? And also explain, like, why? Why are you between the two? Do you? Uh, how often are you between the two? You'd say. I was just in LA four years. Now I'm back in Athens, maybe eight months. So I like winter in LA because it's. I mean, not really winter, like. Summer in Greece is like no nothing on earth. That's my favorite. The thing I love about LA is like this very like um, that old Hollywood feel. A lot of places, they don't change on purpose. Like they're very historic buildings. I mean, talk obviously <laughs> Athens has history, but a, a different kind of talking about. Like I love that LA feel of some of these like iconic places and stuff and the weather, the palm trees. I just always had a connection to LA. I always knew I was going to live there. Okay. That's interesting. So also, I guess like a cool question is like, what are you up to right now? Like you, you mentioned the football stuff, maybe we'll, we'll shout you out when you announce that official, but like, other yeah, than that, what gonna, are you up to right now? I'm going to let you guys know for sure. It's, it's actually really exciting. Yeah. Well, for, we'll so, for sure share it out. I've done a lot of like random stuff that I actually enjoy and I really tried to like learn a lot about and like master it. Like I did some real estate stuff. I was in the jewelry business, my family's jewelry business, which I actually liked. Now I'm starting to get back in football. Um, my brother's been in football for a long time. 
from yeah, I saw years. that he worked in Italy and Venice, or I. I but he was um, he was CEO of Reggiana when they were in the third division. He, Venezia Serie B. Now he's back with Venezia. He has his own marketing and branding company that's very much in football, whether it's marketing and branding players or teams or doing collaborations with companies. It's very, very exciting what he does. So he's the one who kind of got me back interested into not directly like coaching, but somewhat around football because I really admire what he's doing. Now is the first time we've lived in the same country, actually, since I'm 18 years old in 20 years. For a bit, actually, we lived in America, maybe a year. Then he went to Venice. But now we're both back in Greece, and it's the first time we can actually plan, like, what can we do together? Mixing both of our football knowledge, your knowledge in marketing, branding, and something we're, like, doing together that is going to be, like, extremely exciting. That is, it really is the first time I found something, like that, you know, that thing that you wake up, and you're like, I can't wait to start my day and do this since football. Like, so this I'm pretty excited about. Okay, that sounds pretty good. That that's basically <laughs> what I had. But Peter, yeah, you have anything no, else? That's, that's fantastic. Um, I think that's about all we have. This has been an incredibly long interview, but that's totally fine because <laughs> we had so much amazing uh, stuff. Um, Peter, I just want to say again, like we had an absolute blast chatting with you. Um, so much really cool insight about your career, yeah. your motivation, all the stuff you did behind the scenes to get to where you got. Um, I really admire your philosophy about life in general as well. And it was great to hear you chat about that. And also some incredible, incredible stories um, at the Thank end there. So yeah. Um, and I just, so I just want to say, hope you had as much of a blast as we did. Of and course. Uh, Look, I do these a lot. Um, I mean, not a lot, like back in the day, like these are the most, like, that's why it went so long. Like I enjoyed the, the <laughs> questions. Like yeah. usually there's such black and white questions, like the classic questions they always ask. Like this was fun. It was different type of stuff. You're the first people ever who wanted to know before Olympiago what happened, which to me is the most exciting. Like, you know, anyone. Who yeah, that's what business, we thought what too. Say? Like yeah, as the Americans. Part maybe. Is when we started. Yeah. Like that to me is yeah. the funnest part to think about. And no mm. one's ever asked about that or cared or was interested in it. Like you guys asked really, really good questions and I enjoyed it a lot. Well, it, we it, it, it speaks to all three of, well, at least Peter, myself and Lambro as, as Amer, you know, well, Lambro and I as Greek Americans, Peter's our new imported Greek American. We've converted. <laughs> that's, that's it. <laughs> so it, it's, it's, it, this is, is really good for us to hear. And I'm, I'm hoping that because we have so many Greek American listeners as well, that this will ring something within them as well, because we see you as somebody that did it. You made it. You know yeah. what I mean? That's, and yeah. the dream is there for the future. Maybe my son it can do that now. You, you're course. a role model for him. So this was That's like what I said. You could on the map of football, like Glenn Cove isn't even on it. You know what I mean? Like. In 1983, when I was born, back when there was no MLS, like, not that I, like, by five, six years old, I was telling people I will play professional in Europe. Then they were looking at me like, there's no way, like, anyone could do it. And sometimes it's like you said, one person to see that did it, it's like, oh, I can do it too. So I'm going to keep training and training and training. It's important. A lot of people don't get, like, 
from Long Island, like somewhere like that, how hard it is to make it. Okay, now today it's easier because the setup in America. But back then it was almost like I think about it, it was impossible. Like, who's going to see me? How will it happen? It just shows you not even just football, anything in life. If you love it, you can accomplish it because it doesn't feel like work. You're just every day going to take one step closer. Yeah, I said this quote once. I said, those sacrifices you have to make, the second they feel like too much or they feel you're in the wrong field. Like the sacrifices that are tough for a lot of people is what I woke up craving. I want to be, I can't wait to train three times today. I don't want to eat anything like ice cream, soda. Don't bring it near me. I don't want it. Like I was just, I was, wasn't taking no for an answer. If you have that mentality, I don't care if you want to go to the moon, you'll do it. I promise you. That's, that's excellent advice. And as, as we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to say to the Olympiacos community or the Greek American community? Because um, I mean, like, like you just said, I, I think coming from where you came and getting to Europe is really um, that's one of the main reasons we wanted to talk to you and hear more about that transition. So uh, as we begin to wrap up, anything else that you want to say uh, to the listeners of the podcast? Mm, the list, I don't know where to start. Um, no, I mean, anything I would say, they know, really. It's not even one of these, you know, the classic Olubiaco players. They all say, well, I'm an Olubiaco fan since I'm young. And it's, you know, all that stuff. It, it, it is true. Because I've been through a lot of, like, teams in Greece. I've seen, like, it is the biggest, really you feel like the most, like you're a part of something like this family. It is a massive club. Um, I mean, that's why in the last however many years, they're just dominating. Um, to the Greek Americans, I would say, honestly, now get like your EU passports. Like you see how hard it is. You never know if COVID might come and like spend time in Greece, go to matches if they let people back in. Like that's life lately. Like it shows you I have so many friends who are now dying to get here, but when they could, they weren't. It just shows you anything you want to do, do it. You never know. Like sometimes you have to lose it to appreciate it. So to the Greek American ones, I'd be like, as many times as you could get around, got a sky, keep be there, feel that atmosphere. It's something you can't explain that stadium with those people in it. I can't wait until we can all pack Kare Skaki again, man. I, I gotta <laughs> yeah. say, I gotta get out there. Anyway, um, Peter, that was, that was an excellent interview. Thank you so much. And thank you all to the listeners and people watching on YouTube, especially if you've made it this far. I know this was a long one, but it is worth it, as you probably know, having listened to it. Continue to interact with us on social media, Gate7INTL. Leave a review on Apple. Like, subscribe, comment on YouTube. We'll be back on Thursday with post-game analysis from Greece versus Georgia. Big game for the Ethniki coming up. So enjoy the rest of your week and we'll see you very soon. You just listened to an episode of the Gate 7 International Podcast, a podcast connecting Olympiacos fans from Brussels to Tokyo, from Toronto to Geneva. We are four Olympiacos fans from every corner of the world, bringing you news and interviews of the team you love in English. With new episodes twice a week, you'll never miss out on the latest updates and stories of the team you love. If you liked what you heard, make sure to follow us on social media at Gate7INTL. 
give us a subscribe on YouTube or even leave a review on all our podcast channels. Until next time, this is our team, our city and our story. Thrilos, he said. Στο μυαλό κάτι μαγικό.